Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome back to the Perpetual Time Loop. That is our fourth and hopefully final episode of the story of everyone's favourite man about town, John George Haig. With me for possibly the final episode um, is James. Hello, James. Hello. Does, does that mean that I might be getting fired? Yes, probably, yeah. Right. It's just because I don't, I don't know yet if this is going to be the, the final episode of the saga. It's exciting keeping it like this. It's it's good. Spoilers, I do know. Not telling you yet. Yeah. Ooh. However, we do kind of want to wrap this one up um, because, to be honest, five episodes is a little bit long. Well, yeah, plus I've got too lazy without having to do any work. Yeah, and you're on holiday next week, so yeah, we'll we need see. to get wrapped up. Definitely. All right, right. If you don't know the story, well, you've got three episodes before this one to catch up on. But if you're lazy like me, here's a quick recap. Episode 1 saw us talk about John's upbringing, his childhood and overbearing parents, his religious upbringing and how he was at times a wee shitebag. But he also did earn a lot of praise from some former teachers and ministers suggesting he at such an early age had already developed some sort of psychopathic behaviours and tendencies. This is really, it's like a starting point to him showing the, the common trait of psychopaths is that his personality is pretty much entirely fabricated and fake. He's different with different people. And he's yeah. got this at such a young age that he doesn't really know how to act, so he, he just makes it up. And he's manipulating people at the same yes, time. Yes, very much so. It, it, it shows that kind of lack of empathy and compassion that he just doesn't give a shit about people. We could talk more and more about it, but just go listen to the first episode. Exactly. Episode 2 brought us forward a few years to his adolescence and how he dabbled in minor insurance fraud and business scams, which would wind him up in prison about three, maybe four times. Also, an interesting fact is these spells in prison uh, was uh, basically where his interest in acid began, namely dissolving mice to get his head around the whole exercise of dissolving yeah, so acid. If that's your thing, go back to episode two of this story and give that a listen. The third and latest episode took us down the route of meeting new characters, characters called the McSwans. William and his parents Donald and Amy, who in that order became John's first three victims. We talked a little about their lives and why they made such clever victims for John, and we discussed John's method of body disposal, a drum full of acid. But only after James gave a good account of how long it takes for a human body to dissolve in acid. Thank you. I'm not really used to having my rambles appreciated. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't get used to that. It's normally things like, you've talked about that quite a lot enough now, and... Can you please get off the bus, sir? <laughs> um, this, however, <clears throat> is episode four in the saga. The final episode ever of a bloody mess. No, don't be daft. We're just getting into our stride and finding our feet. So let's go. Is it, is it really our last episode? There's been a murder. We'll kick off the story now by updating ourselves on where John was. Kensington. <laughs> the year now being 1945, John had met a man through one of his many business associates named Edward James. The two would um, come together with an idea of an investment opportunity they could sell. John would go on to invest £225 into the idea, which was a needle threading machine. 
John's money would also buy him a position as director in the new business. However, this business would eventually come to nothing, but not before John had already convinced several people and businesses to pay money for one of these machines when it became avail available. This machine never did become available, but he managed to convince one man to part £400 for the machine, but he just took the money and ran. You'd think after being in prison three or four times, you know, you'd maybe slowed down a little bit in terms of criminal activities, but sadly not. Maybe because the prison system doesn't work, unlike Halden Prison. <clears throat> now, Halden Prison, this is the Norwegian Wonder Prison, isn't it? This is the Norwegian Wonder Prison, yes. Yeah, it's basically, this is the one where it's the whole point of the prison is just to it's just rehabilitation, basically, isn't it? It's, it's designed to keep people, not as captives, but to kind of get them used to coming back to society. Sorry, I thought you were going on one of your rants there. No. Yes, that's exactly the prison. They treat them like human beings. Yeah, now, I, lo I, looked, I, say I looked into this, but unfortunately it's closed down now. Is it actually? Yeah, it opens tomorrow at 9 o'clock, though. <sighs> very good, very good. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing about it, it's got 250 inmates in its 75-acre grounds. It's huge, isn't it? Yeah, but now that's 250 inmates, 75 acres. Put that into perspective, at Manchester's prison, Manchester, strange ways... Uh, that's 15 acres and has got over 1,200 inmates in there. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. It's so this is... It's absolutely insanity, but <clears throat> it's it's a really revolutionary system and also the way that they treat the prisoners different means that the prison is viewed differently in, in the local community. People look at the prison as being a good thing, a good opportunity for jobs and things like that and it's not viewed negatively, it's just viewed as one of those things, and the the prison guards sit down and have the meals sat amongst the prisoners, they play sports together. Yeah, oh yeah, they're like one big happy family. It, essentially, and I mean, but if you put a foot wrong, they send you back to a normal prison. Oh, do they? Yeah, it's like, you, yeah. it's like if you do anything wrong, that's you, and you can never go back there. And this is, it's not just like petty criminals either. These are like murderers and rapists. Oh yeah, it's, here, it's, classed as, it's classed as a maximum security prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, this is just the same as any severe prison. It's murderers, rapists, organised crime. It's things like that. It's the worst of the worst. But it's this revolutionary way of dealing with it because nobody has looked at it and went, this system isn't working. People yeah. get out of prison and go back to prison. How can we change the way they think? So it's, it's re-offender rate is a very, very low percentage, isn't it? Yeah. Of, of prisoners that re-offend after this prison. Yeah, compared to the ones in the UK, which is like a, like a revolving door, basically. Exactly, like John George Hay. Yeah. Mm. However, there's quite a few problems with this prison, and I'll name two just now. The cost of it, even to build it, was ridiculous. It was like billions or something like that. Well, also... And the cost... I'm going to say, I remember reading into it, and they, they were saying that the wall was seen, the wall around the prison was, obviously it was everywhere you look, so it was seen as a sign of oppression, so they, uh, they cladded it with timber to make it look nice, to make it look more like the walls of like, I don't know, supermarket or something like that, yeah. and they also had artists come in and do graffiti on the walls, but like murals yeah. and things, and this was taken out of the art budget. So yeah. that gives you an idea of how much they're spending when they had an art budget. I don't even think the budget in British prisons covers painting the walls. But even the cost like per prisoner is ridiculous. And the Conservative Party in Norway complained because it, the prisoners, murderers, paedophiles, rapists, were getting treated better than um, people in old persons' homes and the ill in hospitals. So that's what their complaint was. That is a good point, but it's one of those things that you can't, you can't use the failings of one department to criticise another. 
Yeah, but the argument could be they should just spend the money there instead of on these rapist murderers, pedophiles. Oh yeah, stuff it's, like it's, that. It's definitely a point to be raised, but this is often. But they're just yeah, they're probably just trying to score political points or something. Yeah, I mean, this point gets raised in Britain all the time. They say, "Oh well, benefits cheats are costing us this much." You say, "Well, how much is training costing us? How much yeah. is how much is MVs expenses costing us? Yeah, how much is HS two? You know, a train line we don't really need. You know, things like that." So it's that's a whole different podcast, anyway. Welcome to a bloody mess, the political podcast. Yeah. Um, I can now confirm this is going to be five episodes because we keep rambling on. Yes. Back to John? Back to John. So, I'll finish this section on John um, by telling you the point of all this nonsense about meeting Edward Jones. And that point is that although the business really never took off, it did allow John access to a storeroom on a very quiet road. The road had one laundrette and three houses, to which only he had access to. And we shall discuss that storeroom a little bit later on. Now it's time to introduce a man born in 1887 in Partick, Glasgow. In where? In 1887. And where was this? In Partick, Glasgow. I have an interesting fact about Partick, Glasgow. As an Englishman, I did not know this fact, however the Scots amongst you may. The football team, Partick Thistle have not played in the Partick area of Glasgow for nearly 115 years. Their home ground of Firhill is elsewhere in the city. Do you know where it is? Elsewhere in the city. <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't actually know where it is. I know it's in Glasgow no, somewhere. It's, I, it's, I want to say Muirhead, but that's someone else's, I think. It's, I think it begins with an M. Yeah, it's like Muirhead or Murrayfield, but I know both of those are other football teams' yeah. stadiums. But yeah, it begins with an M. I'm now going to Google this. Mary Hill. It's in Mary Hill. Mary Hill. Not so Murrayfield. I was quite close to that. I wanted to say Mel Guy, but there we go. It began with an M. I wanted to say motherfucker, but... My friends Ben and Frenzy had a flat in Partick. It was fucking disgusting. Frenzy, Frenzy lived in literally what could be classed as a cupboard with just a mattress on the floor with no, <laughs> like no room at all it was horrendous I remember I stayed there one night and there was just parking on the street so I parked, we went out blah 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 and I heard like um, a lot of noise on the street at like 8 in the morning or something I looked outside my car was getting lifted onto the back of like one of these lorries to be towed away oh, shit so I was running about the flat I was like give me the keys give me the keys to get out and Ben I went to Ben he just started pissing himself laughing but I managed to make it in time and Avoid having my car towed away. Did they put it back down for you? Yeah, it, it wasn't fully off the ground. He said oh. if all four wheels were off the ground, it was going. I was going to say, yeah, because I, I heard that once they've got it up, it has to go because yeah. then if they put it down and, you, and they put it down wrong and like crush you, then they, they're yeah. liable, aren't they? Well, I didn't know that was the reason. I just thought it was being a dick. Well, I think I, got my car. Yeah, I don't even know like what you're meant to do. If, you, if my car wasn't there in the morning, I wouldn't have known what to do. Well, they probably would have left... Uh, like a cone with contact details on. They would have left something there for you to... They wouldn't have just said, good luck. A courtesy okay. car. <laughs> yeah. A bicycle. A micro scooter. <laughs> a train ticket. Yeah. Plane ticket back to Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> so this man was a man named Archibald Henderson, who as a child attended Hillhead High School before moving on to the very well-renowned Glasgow High School, which has helped produce two Prime Ministers. Sir Henry Campbell Bannerman, 
1905 to 1908, and he was the first man to date to be Prime Minister and Father of the House. And another Prime Minister called Boner Law. <laughs> I, I, I have an interesting fact about Boner Law. Do you? No. Boner Law. It's my, it's my uh, second favourite adult documentary. I think that's one of my favourite names ever. From oh. 1922 to 1923. From what I can gather, the school's gone downhill since they haven't produced a, a Prime Minister in about 100 years. I'd say it's nothing really to be bothered about because... No. Fucking state of politics. Oh, there yeah. we go again. <laughs> there was a a member of Deacon Blue who went to that school as well, but I can't remember his name. It, it, I think uh, they called him Dignity. I don't get it. Is that not the name of the song they sang? Oh, I don't know. It could be. I, I just I, remember reading I, I, That was either a brilliant joke with a song lyric in it or a terrible joke where I've, like... Got the wrong band. Yeah, attributed a Delamitri song to Deacon Blue or something like that. <laughs> well, it's getting left in, so... Well, that's, we that's fine. So, Archie, as he should now, now be known, eventually ended up in the army, serving in WW1. WW1? <laughs> I, just, I just read it. <laughs> serving in World War One. It's pronounced Woon. <laughs> and he was even awarded a British medal and a Victoria Cross, which according to the book is nothing overly special, and that everyone who served abroad were awarded these. Now, this is the point we were actually discussing the other night, we decided to discuss it in the podcast. Now, the British Medal, that's fair enough, that was like the standardised one, but the Victoria Cross is actually a, a, a quite a high medal, a quite a high award. It's for gallantry in the face of the enemy, it's like for quite significant bravery. And I think the book might be getting mixed up because the Victoria Cross is up there, but... I don't know. Perhaps it was everyone in his platoon got them, or everyone in his regiment because of yeah, where they were, maybe, or something yeah. like that. But I've had World War One medals, and you do get the standard round one uh, with the lady on the back, and then the colour the colour of the ribbon is related to what regiment you were in. Okay. And then your names is engraved around the edge, uh-huh. and then but the other ones no, that's that's could actually be he may have done something quite significant, but it might have just been. A mistype by the book. Well, yeah, I'm not a fan of this book, to be perfectly honest. I'm not a book critic. It might be a very well-written book, but I just can't really get into it. So that's my criticism of the book. Yeah, I mean, I actually have interesting facts about medals and, in particular, World War Two. Uh huh. Did you know that in World War One, everyone got the medals? They just you came home, you got a medal, right? Not that they... like a. A kid's sports day, you come last, you still get a medal. Well, what I mean is, you just got them given. It was like, everyone yeah. was pleased to have them home. And as, as they should be, rightfully so, you know, you fought for your country and you should have some, some form of recognition. But in World War Two, you had to apply to claim your own medals after the war. Oh, really? So you got back from the war and you were like, right, I want my medals, I best fill in this, these forms and get a stamp. Yeah. And, it, I mean, this is rumoured. I haven't looked into it enough to know if this is true, but this was to save money. Because obviously England was on its arse in the forties, yeah. And the United Kingdom as a whole was on its arse. I and, heard this somewhere. Yeah, and they said, "How can we save money?" And they went, "Fuck it, let's just make people apply for their medals, and then we'll just make, we'll just print them, we'll like, we'll produce them as the you know to order." Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of soldiers actually refused to claim them, 
Uh, partly it was in protest for what they'd gone through in the country. In the case of prisoners of war, they were like, why should I have to claim for this where you made me go to war and I've yeah. got to come back and got to ask for a thank you. Yeah. But also, a lot of the times it was due to an overwhelming desire just to move on with their lives and get back to normality. You're not, you know, you're finally going to get back to see your family, especially if you've been captured, you've been released, you've got back to see your family and then you're not really going to go, oh, I, I need to have a constant reminder of this awful period of my life, please. You just want to get back to work and live in your life. Yeah, you can kind of understand both arguments there, can't you? Exactly. I mean, in a previous episode, I referred to the fact that my grandfather was a prisoner of war captured by the Japanese. Now, he returned from the camps and didn't want any reminders of the war. He didn't want to ask, ask, have to ask for his medals, let, you know, let alone like write letters from anything, so he never claimed them. Now, he did die about 30 years ago, unfortunately, but I managed to claim my grandma's medals from World War Two about two years ago. You did? Yep. And I and wow. I've got and I've got them. The I think it was a government thing where they actually said, "Shit, this is wrong. We should yeah. probably print them all." And they are actually weighted. So if any oh, if wow. any listeners had someone who fought in World War Two, uh, the medals are there to be claimed. You can claim them. You just need proof of his rank, uh, just proof that that you are related yeah. to them. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I had his military service record and uh, things like. I think I had a copy of the death certificate. Things like I don't even think you needed that. But basically, yeah. And I've got the medals, and they're in. They're in a safe place in my house, and I'm looking after them for him. And it's excellent. Yeah, that's, that's a nice story. Yeah, thank you. So after the war, Archie would enrol in medical school at the University of Glasgow in 1919, and by 1928, he was a fully qualified doctor and went on to briefly work in hospitals in Glasgow, Dublin, Chester, before moving to London in 1929, early 1930. It was in early 1930 Archie married a woman named Frances Dorothy Orr, but by all accounts he was a poor husband. She was the daughter of a very well-off lawyer and it would appear that he would end up living off her assets, as no record of him being a doctor in that time um, after the marriage could be found. He was also known to like a smoke, like a drink and like a bit of a gamble on the horses, but he also had a violent temper possibly linked to his drinking. So he wasn't really perfect husband material. I think he sounds fine. <laughs> During his marriage, Archie would go on to meet a lady by the name of Rosalie Mercy Berlin. Who will we now talk about? Rosalie was born on September 11th, 1907 in Lancashire. And her name is of Russian descent. An interesting fact about September 11th, which isn't the one we all think of, is that Babe Ruth, one of the greatest ever baseball players to live, it is 50th out of a grand total of 60 homers. Okay. A homer is a home run, by the way. So there you go. It's an interesting fact about September 11th. You know what else? Uh, I, I always mention this, but have you seen that picture of that girl uh, celebrating her 16th birthday and she's holding the cake and she's got a worried look on her face and in the background on the TV is the smoke coming from the Twin Towers. Oh, is it? And it's like her 16th birthday on September 11th. Oh, that's horrible. What a um, shame. It's the funniest picture, one of my favourite pictures. I'll put, I'll put it up on the Facebook. Rosalie attended Pendleton High School in Lancashire before her family moved down to London, where she'd go on to study office skills for two years and gain employment for £40 a month, which is a very high wage for a woman back in those days. Rosalie was a good-looking lady and even entered a few beauty contests in her day, but I'm not sure if she won. She was also bilingual, as her and her family were quite well-travelled all being able to speak both French and German, and presumably English. I was going to say, do you not mean trilingual? <laughs> Unless you just, trilingual. She just spoke French and German. 
She's a Russian woman living in England who speaks French and German. <laughs> what kind of fucking she's, Dr. Seuss book is this? She's going to be having a shit time. Yeah. <laughs> she eventually ended up marrying a German man named Rudolf. Not a lot is known about him, as he was, de- but he was described as a very nice bloke, actually. Even though he apparently had some sort of ties with the Nazi regime. Now, if this was the 1930s, it could be argued that he was linked to the Nazi party of old, you know, the National Socialist Party, as opposed to the whole Third Reich thing. I mean, I'm not defending him. It but kind of sounds like you're defending him. <laughs> well, no, but he may have been a former associate of the National Socialist Party before they sold out and got a new frontman. I mean, imagine, put it this way, imagine him hanging out with Fleetwood Mac back in the day when they had a male singer and sounded like any other classic rock band. But then when they got famous with female singer Stevie Nicks singing all the hits, it wasn't really the same band, was it? Hang on, right? Did you just compare Stevie Nicks to Adolf Hitler? Yes. <laughs> Rudolph was a very wealthy person. <laughs> so moving swiftly on. Yeah. Rudolph was a very wealthy businessman and the couple lived all around London, including the very wealthy area of Chelsea. Where? Chelsea. I have an interesting fact about Chelsea. Oh, do tell. Chelsea is home to the street of King's Road, which, according to the novels, was home to fictional civil servant and serial womaniser James Bond. Really? Yeah. There you go. Did not know that. Yeah. Being a very successful businessman did not come without its drawbacks. Rudolph would be away on business for long periods of time. One time he came back from being six weeks away and upon returning... You know, not seeing your wife for six weeks, he's, he's expected to get some. Yeah, like your man James Bond. Like your man James Bond. But instead, upon returning, he is introduced by his wife to Archie. It would transpire that Archie had been attending a lot um, of rich, wealthy-type parties with Rosalie while her husband was away. It would be fair to suggest that Rudolph did not appear and even stated... Dr. Henderson was of the gigolo type without <laughs> much intelligence. Yeah, he had no time for Archie's shit, to be honest. It did turn out that Archie... Dr. Henderson was off the jigglers! <laughs> it did turn out that Archie and Rosalie were having a lot of unsupervised visits while Rudolph was out, and even had a secret getaway down on the coast in Southampton, and by the end of 1936, an affair was in full swing. It's kind of sexy, this, isn't it? It is kind of sexy. It's like, ooh. sex swing to have full swing affairs on. Oh. Because of you said, you said You said sex swing, but in my mind, I heard swing ball. <laughs> and I just got a bit confused then. You came in like a wrecking ball. That's my German accent. Yeah, you don't do that again. No, didn't like it. Did you say don't do that again? Yeah. Oh, okay, I won't. There's buildings in my work getting demolished. Right, they're demolishing two big cold stores. Yeah, and it's really shit. I thought they would actually come in and do use like a wrecking ball, but they've just dismantled it piece by piece. It's been really. It's boring. just it's just dirty men with tools, isn't it? It is, yeah. But there was a big whole thing with asbestos as well, so everyone's like, we have to wear masks, but we didn't because we don't care. No, I uh, had a garage with an asbestos roof, and everyone was like, oh, you've got to be careful, and we just broke it into bits and buried it. Fuck it. <laughs> You know, it's like, I'm not telling anyone where it's buried, so good luck digging in Lancashire. 
There's fucking good asbestos luck. somewhere. Good luck, Tony Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the right ringing guy? Up, yeah, ringing up with hints for time team. <laughs> <laughs> because of this affair, Rudolph would divorce Rosalie, even though Archie tried to pay him not to. Probably due to fear of the trial that would um, would have to happen if they were divorced. Oh, because this was when it was like a proper yes. legal proceedings, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Oh God, that was so long ago we were talking about that back in episode one. Was that or two, or two or three? Who knows? Yeah, when he had to when he had to give evidence because he'd been he'd been having sex with that man's uh, wife whilst yeah. the man was hit hiding in the wardrobe with Jose. Yeah. Also, the facts would come out, and his own wife um, would find out what a prick he really was. But Rosalie was not an angel either. She would torment Francis, Archie's wife, and say things like, Why don't you let your husband go? He does not want you. Now imagine being with someone, and a person who your boyfriend or girlfriend was cheating on you with, and they rang you and said that. That's just rubbing salt in the wound. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, it's, it's just... It's just shit in general, that. It's just not that. I wonder how often this happened. I have no idea. Probably quite a lot. Twice still a week. Because people are still dickheads today. Well, yeah, true. Most people. However, all Francis's problems were short-lived. <laughs> did, I, did I really write that sentence? <laughs> Start that's, again. Say that's properly. Fucking, that's fucking horrific what I've written. <laughs> However, all Francis' problems were short-lived, just like she was as she became mysteriously ill and died nine days later. <laughs> the official reports suggest this death was due to natural causes. And remember, we're talking about Archibald Henderson here, a victim of John. We're not actually talking about John. Archibald would receive £20,000 in nowadays, and in nowadays money, that is £138,000. So that in itself would raise suspicion. Also the fact that her body was cremated so no real examination could take place even if they wanted to. It is theorised that Archie was a doctor who had access to drugs so he could easily have poisoned his wife. Just food for thought. Going back to our Marianne Cotton episode there really, I mean if you can poison someone with a substance that gives symptoms of a common illness, like arsenic poisoning gives stomach flu digestive complaints before death and if the authorities have no reason to suspect you, you've pretty much got away with it. You know, if you want to say, I'm going to give you something that causes you heart problems, like digitalis or something like that, and then mm-hmm. you just die of a heart attack at 55, they're going to go, oh well. Oh well, he had a good life. Yeah. So, so with Rudolph and Francis out of the way, Rosalie and Archie would get married in October 1938 in a place called Caxton Hall. But shortly after, WW2... World World War War Two, <laughs> World War the Second, World War the Second came knocking, and we'll pick up our story after the war. <laughs> Important to the story was Archie's purchase of twenty two Ladbroke Square, and the use of the property as some sort of boarding house for people who lost their homes during the war. But it was now nineteen forty seven, and Rosalie was unwell, and the couple decided to sell the property. Now we now enters. John George Hay back into the equation. Do we remember who he is? He's Archie's boyfriend. Archie's boyfriend. <laughs> the acid bath chink. <laughs> At this point... <laughs> not being racist, that's a common joke through the episodes. At this point in his life, um, all the McSwan money was dwindling and he was left with £26 in his pocket. 
This is all he had. So if you think about it, if you had so much money, but no real income, and you've been living this high life, fancy cars, great food, nice clothes, you see it come to an end, you're going to panic. Well, not us. We'd get jobs. Well, I panic at most things because I've got anxiety problems. But... <laughs> <laughs> so, Haig would an- Haig, so, so Haig would answer the advertisement of this property being for sale. It was worth £8,750. And Rosalie's brother recalls being told by Rosalie about John. Of all the stupid people I've met... I've just got introduced to the greatest of them all! Where's my sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) This was said um, because this was John's response to the price. That's too cheap. But if you'll accept 10,000, that's a deal! (laughs) So he didn't even have the money, but he's still putting it towards, um, you know, this persona of being rich, wealthy man who's thrown his money around. For some reason, not explained in the book, John and the Hendersons um, would end up being social acquaintances. 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 Pals. Buddies. Even to the extent that Rosalie would go shopping with John and buy him things. Now this, to me, shows the level of his manipulative ways, really. <clears throat> if he's going in there and he's, and he's pretending to be someone's best friend, he's skint, he's trying to manip- manoeuvre his way into a new situation, into a new social circle... The people that he's basically going to fuck them up, he's yeah. manoeuvring his way into their lives, and he's he's pulling a number of them so, to such a great deal that they are buying him things to show their gratitude. And it's, I think a lot of it will be him going, oh, that's a lovely suit, I could do with a new suit. And she's like, well, do you want it? Go, I couldn't possibly take that, unless yeah. you're sure. <laughs> I think she bought him socks. Well, it was one of the things I remember that she bought him socks. It's very nice of her. It wasn't even Christmas. I know. I quite like getting socks and things like that because I always begrudge buying them myself because they're expensive. Yeah, I've been wearing the same boxes for like 15 years. Yeah, but I mean, you need to start washing them at some point. No. Don't tell me what to do. (laughs) The pair would grow close. Close enough for John to learn about their very unstable marriage and that the couple were overdrawn. So right you know now, what they say, don't you? What do they say, James? A shoulder to cry on becomes a dick to ride on. <laughs> is, that, is that a real saying? Yeah. I didn't make it up. It's, a, it's straight from the streets, brother. Straight from the streets. So right now, it's unclear what motives John would have um, for murdering them. He would even state, I had no reason to anticipate financial gain from them. But murder them is exactly what he did. <clears throat> Gain financially is exactly what he did. Very similar to the run-up of his first three murders in McSwans, Haig ordered in drums and the acid and prepped his storeroom, ready for action. Now, you're saying he's ordering in drums, acid and prepping his storeroom. That just sounds like a 1970s party. Sounds like 1970s porno. <laughs> Do you, think again, we should, do you think we yes. should get some acid and do a podcast on acid? I think we should. Get some mushrooms. Yeah, should we do that? Yeah. And again, much like the McSwans in the previous episode, the only explanation of what happened came from um, came from John. He recalls it being a Friday, but in his diary, there's a little cross on Thursday the 12th of February, 1948. And this is what he had to say on the matter. 
took Dr. Henderson to Crawley and disposed of him in the storeroom at Leopold Road by shooting him in the head with his own revolver, which I had taken from his property at Dawes Road. I put him in the tank of acid, as in the other cases. This was in the morning. (laughs) This was in the morning. It cracks me up. This was in the morning, and I went back to Brighton and brought up Mrs. Henderson on the pretext that her husband was ill. I shot her in the storeroom, and I put her in another tank and disposed of her with acid. In the case of Dr. Henderson, I removed his gold cigarette case, his gold pocket watch, and chain, and from his wife, her wedding ring, a diamond ring, and disposed of all this to bulls at Horsham for about £300. I paid their bill at the Hotel Metropole of £20, collected their luggage and their red setter, and took the luggage to Dawes Road. The dog I kept for a period at the Onslow Court Hotel and later at Gatwick Hall until I had to send him to Professor Soresby Kennels in the country on account of his night blindness. Night blindness? Night blindness. Yes, Jim, do you have a problem with night blindness? Well, is that's just... That's just the dark. <laughs> what do you expect? So fucking night vision goggles. Night blindness. <laughs> By means of letters purporting to have come from the Hendersons, I kept relatives quiet. By sending the letters to Mrs. Henderson's brother, Arnold Berlin, who lives in Manchester... His address is in the index book in my room, number 16 Dawes Road. I acquired forged deeds of transfer and sold to the present owner, J.B. Clark. I left Archie in the storeroom while I went for a gas mask and a drum. During Friday, that could have been Thursday, afternoon, I left him and Rosie both trust turkey-wise while I got another tank for her on Saturday. Fucking hell, so they're just left in his storeroom tied up. Yes, James, that's what I said. <laughs> and. Just... Yes, yes, continue, James, don't interrupt my story. <laughs> I was just I was just going to say, sir, that uh, it was just to kind of ex- accentuate the fact of his, of his actions. You know, just to draw the, the listener's attention to that. My actions? Yes, if, you, if your actions, yes. I'm a method actor. <laughs> and on Cena's foot almost complete on emptying the sludge, I left it without troubling to reduce it. So he's seen Archie's foot still whole when he's emptied everything out, and he's just left it there. Maybe maybe this foot becomes, you know, important later in the story. Oh, you mean Jim Foot that does the podcast? What? Jim Foot that does the podcast? Jim fucking Foot that does the podcast? So again, that's a very nondescript killing. Um... These episodes seem to be more focused on the details of people's lives instead of the finer details of the murder. Can I just interject here? It seems to be that the book has been is a the book is a true crime book written about a series of horrific murders by someone who doesn't have an interest in murder. That is that's actually really really well put. I've not finished the book, so it might go back into detail it just, later on. It feels like it's someone who's writing a very human biography of a murderer. Yes. And fair enough, he's trying to do it differently, so if if you're a, 
an author and you've been commissioned to write this book, fair enough, you would try and put your own slant on it and do it in your own style, you've been picked for a reason, that kind of thing, but for people like me and you, who's picking up this book, it is a bit of an odd choice of tone for the way it's written. That's very well put, better than my I don't like the book. Thank you. Unlike the McSwans, there were people who had missed the Hendersons. Firstly is the manager of a shop they owned, who John had tricked with a forged letter stating that the Hendersons owed John two and a half thousand pounds, and if it wasn't be if it wasn't repaid, John would take ownership of the car and the shop. Although the manager would more than likely have found this quite odd, she had no reason to think it was false. That's the thing, when you're presented with something that's unusual, if you've no reason to question it, you're just gonna think, Oh, that's unusual and yes. then just and then just move on if you've because also I think even these days people get duped by these things, you know, more than you'd expect and more than you'd like to believe. But also back in the day people hadn't heard of these swindles and comment and things like this. Well they had, but the media wasn't the same. There was no media, it was friends of friends. So when it was happening, you didn't you it was something that happened to people two towns over. Yeah. You know, blind Billy got his all these donkeys stolen, things like that. Exactly. I'm still waiting on my money from that Nigerian prince. Did you send him all the dick pics like he asked? I sent him dick pics, bobs and vagine and all my yeah. bank details. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, so this this, ba- this manager of the shop, she was quite easy to pawn off. Um, Rosalie's brother, however, Arnold, was a different story altogether. Do you think that's because he had something invested? Because the woman, it was literally just basically someone had come to her and said, your personal circumstances will change and she's gone how and he's, and he's basically said there's be a different name signing your waist check and she's gone okay then yeah whereas with Arnold he said your sister's fucked off and they were like no she well, she wouldn't do that yeah and we'll we'll come into it in a minute but there was a another thing that raised suspicion but we'll get into that in a minute okay John did try the same same lines he showed um, Arnold fake letters but you know he was he wasn't really convinced he couldn't understand why he wouldn't have been told about the loan of £2,500 or even that the Hendersons had moved away. John now claiming they had moved to South Africa. That is quite a, a daft claim, though, isn't it? It's a bit crazy. This whole story reminds me somewhat of H.H. H. Holmes. Yeah, what, like he's just thinking on his feet and picking the and first thing that comes out of his head. Manipulating and all these lies and spinning webs and stuff like that. Would you say that he could be, because of the business element, <clears throat> because of the elaborate ways of destruction of a body, could you argue that he might be Britain's answer to H.H. Jones to a certain level? Yes, without the hotel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like yeah. obviously without the one thing that makes H.H. Jones famous, you know, but yes. they are quite similar. Yes. <laughs> yes, and yeah, they, they, it's all about money. So yeah, yeah, a lot of it was money with H.H. Holmes, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And uh, what's the word? Respect and social positioning. Exactly. Status, yeah. status. that was all I want to say. And they're both very handsome men. And they both, both had beastly tashes. Exactly. Funnily enough, two days after Arnold told John he was going to the police, Arnold would receive a letter. The letter was supposed, supposedly from Rosalie, and it read something like this. Dear Mr. Arnold... This is fucking wrong. My dear Arnold, you've never had such a long break of science silence that you must wonder what has happened. Unfortunately, at the time, Archie found out I was leaving him when we came back to London. We had quite a row at Kingsgate over that. He blamed me for getting him into a mess and losing money. 
We had a perfect bust-up at Brighton, and he threatened to commit suicide if I left him. So there was only one thing to do, and that was to get the brains to work quickly. He had borrowed some money from John Haig. You remember him. You met him at the Berkeley. So I've put that to work on a scheme, and I've worked out for such an occasion should arrive. It is doing very well, although it has meant lying low for a bit. I thought we might be along to see you at the weekend, but we must keep on the move for a little while yet, probably three weeks. We are keeping away from our Archie's usual haunts. Archie is good as gold, and we are very seldom drinking. We are going to Newcastle from here, next Tuesday. This is as much as I want to tell you in a letter. You'll understand when I see you again. I only hope Johnny Hay is doing all right, because he's been a brick to me during the last few months. A brick? A brick. Or a prick? No, a brick, because she's been coming to him. Sorry. He's been a brick because I've been having marital issues. I've been going to John, Johnny Haig. Would you not have said he's been my rock? <laughs> he's not the thing that they've got him on because he's a fucking idiot. This is this is 1940s. He, he's my brick. He's my brick. He's my brick. You are my knight in tinfoil armour. <laughs> the weather has been frightfully cold. And I could have done with some more clothes. But I am not going to Jaws, Dawes Road for them until we come back. Archie will explain... Um, to you about his cheque. I told him not to send the damn thing until he was straight with the bank. I see him coming back now. Hope you are well. Don't worry. Give my love to Mumsy. Rose in haste. However... Do you, do you, by that, do you mean she stood up quick? I think so. Very quick. You know when you stand up quick and you get light-headed? Yeah, did, you get my, did you get my joke? We said Rose in haste. Ah, now I get it now. Sorry. Yeah, see? I was quite pleased with that as well. Sorry, that would have been funny if I was smart enough. I know. I have to say, though, it was because we are Skyping this episode, and through the wonder of webcams, it's beautiful to watch you acting these characters out. <laughs> yeah, I put my dress on for that one. I know, you took me to your legs and everything. <laughs> um, due to a misspelling, the last last thing I said there was Mumsy. Misspelling of Mumsy, right? In the letter, he spelled it M-U-M-S-Y. However, due to misspelling Mumsy, M-U-M-S-Y, where Arnold knew Rosalie spelled it M-U-M-S-I-Y, S-I-E, sorry, Arnold again advised John they should go to the police. But shortly after, another letter arrived. Oh, the suspense is killing me. Let me put my dress back on. Oh, let me watch. Hopefully my letter from Birmingham put your mind at rest. I expect the details would kept you amused at least. I'm following out the programme very successfully. I'm quite pleased with everything. I just spat on my book. <laughs> Dirty girl. Archie is still very good and the Brighton episode, although unpleasant at a time, was a blessing in disguise. Lum to Mumsy and all. Shall see you on our way back. Which way did he spell Mumsy? M-U-M-S-Y. Motherfucker. He is, is a mother he is a mother. Johnny was my prick, but he is a motherfucker. <laughs> Did you have any pet names for Johnny? The chink. <laughs> 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 and there were many, many more letters after that. Even though John somehow let Arnold see Rosalie's passport, um I didn't get much details of this, and Arnold would have realised that she um she would have found it very difficult to travel without it. 
he still didn't go to the police for an official investigation. This was probably down to John's ability to charm and manipulate, and he also convinced Arnold that his sister had had an abortion and didn't want to be found for a while because abortion, at the time, was illegal. This is James's bit, but he's sucking on a bottle. I'm also I'm also uh, doing a uh, webcast for Babe Station, so <laughs> you know I've got to pay the bills. Now this feels like Haig's mind is running overtime. Really, it's firing off all the excuses that Arnold that he can think of. Things like, "Oh look, she's gone abroad. Oh no, she's had an abortion. Oh no, she's down here. Oh here's some letters." It's just like firing excuses ten a penny just to see which ones stick. Exactly, much like um, H. H. Holmes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, especially when H.H. Holmes was on the... On the run. Especially when H.H. Holmes was on the run. Yeah. And he was writing the letters to the family yeah. of the children. Yeah. Just reading that out um, reminded me of that. The children yeah. writing the letters and stuff. John was claiming rent on um, a lot of the properties that the Hendersons owned, but he eventually stopped milking it and he sold the properties um, and he would go on a year-long crazy party gambling women, not just sex workers, um, and alcohol. So this money did not last long um, as the money he gained from the McSwans. So this only lasted one year instead of four. So he needed needed more money and he would try to get to the only way that would come quick and fast because by February 1949, a year after killing the Hendersons for money, John's bank was overdrawn by £83. But this wasn't all. His debts from gambling um, came to roughly £350 and he was overdue his hotel bill by a month. Things did not look good for him, but he did see uh, one way out of this hole that he had created. Was it payday loan? No, <laughs> he should have. That would have been a good idea. Was it Amigo Amigo Loans? Yes, AmigoLoans.com. Was it Wonga? Wonga.com. Did he go on to event FunkyPigeon.com? FunkyPigeon.com. How do you know all these places? You've been taking a lot of payday loans. Did he go on to invent Babe Station? <laughs> Are you actually on Babe Station? Yeah. So. Did he go on to invent Chat Roulette? <laughs> I was on Chat Roulette the other night. It's funny. Really? We need yeah. to do that. We haven't done that yet, have we? Oh, it's so funny. Right. Mrs. Henrietta. Did he go on to invent <laughs> Silly Bang? Silly, silly bang. That's not even the song for Silly Bang, is it? <laughs> No, it's banging the dirt, he's gone. Right. You done? I think so, yeah. We'll see. Enter now, Mrs. Did he go on to invent (laughs) turkey dinosaurs? No. Maybe, actually, I don't know. Mrs. Henrietta Helen Olivia Robart Duran Deacons, now to be known as Olive. What a fucking name, eh? She just screams, I've got a waterfall made from gold in my 42 bedroom mansion. Does she actually scream that? Is that one of her yeah. character traits? That's what she says that she's falling into acid. Just she's there, just going, ah! <laughs> like I've got a waterfall made from gold. All of them. She was an older lady who was born in Richmond, Surrey, on the twenty eighth of February, eighteen eighty. Now remember her birthday. Twenty eighth of February, eighteen eighty. Got it. I need to point out that. Although she was an older lady born in Richmond, she was actually born a young lady. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
as was customary at the time. (laughs) She came from a very wealthy family and she was brought up with four servants attending her every need. Although nothing is written on her upbringing, we can safely assume she did not have um, a harsh childhood in the 1901 census. She was not listed as having a job, so we we just assume she didn't need to work. She could have been on the dole. She could have been, but but she married a man named Captain Reginald William John Duran Deacons, who was born on the same day as William Churchill, 30th of November, 30th of November, 1874. What are the chances? One in 365. <laughs> There's only one day born. <laughs> No, but like, the <laughs> sorry, the you're sorry, man. You'll have to day, hold on to this one. No, the chances you're born on the same day is one in three hundred sixty-five because it's three hundred sixty-five days in a year. But we're not on about that man. We're on about any any baby. Yeah, but it's still one in six three hundred sixty-five. It's not because... the man. The man was going to be born in that year, right? Or even it's whatever nine months is that in days. Yeah, but if there was. If you had more, if there was four hundred babies, and there was three hundred sixty-five days for them to be born in, that wouldn't cancel down to one in three hundred sixty-five, would it? Welcome to a bloody mess. The gambling podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've got We're... four to two on William Churchill being born on thirtieth November. So this cash captain... out for four shillings. <laughs> <laughs> he was an army captain, but he was also very well off. Not really, not much is really written about the couple, so I apologise for the lack of detail. I suppose this is one of those things that at the time, people weren't writing things down, the newspapers weren't quite the same, so when... I mean, I'm not talking about... The newspapers weren't hacking into your voicemail after you died. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was a lot easier to hack into someone's voicemail because you literally just like stand next to them and listen. <laughs> just catch their pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the phone hacking of the day was just a big net. <laughs> <laughs> this man is this man is, is, is illegally intercepted by semaphore message. Right, all we can say for sure is, um, she had the appearance. What the fuck is that word? Appertenance. Appertenance. She had the appertenance. That's not even a word. Do you think it means like no? Appertain- that's just that's just a typo. <laughs> did, it, did it mean to say she had a tuppence? <laughs> no, she had the appearance and background of having a lot of money. <laughs> no, is it not appurtenance as in like appertaining to? I, I would never have written that. Have you spell checked this and just assumed that that's what I meant? Yeah, well, well, I correct your, I correct all your typos and grammar anyway when I do my drafts. That's why I make sure you work off my most recent draft when I send it back to you. Because, yeah, for the listeners, if there's ever, if there's ever a sentence that Jen struggles to read, it's because I've rewritten it without him knowing, and he's thinking I didn't write that, <laughs> and because it didn't make sense, I've just rewritten it and not told him. So that is a pertinence. Yeah. Okay. It's because my spell checker doesn't work. I, I like no matter what I do, it underlines everything red, as if it's wrong. And I don't know why, and it annoys me, so I just turn it off, that's why. Plus, I'm pretty stupid. Well, you're not really, but... All we can say for sure is she had the appurtenance and background of having a lot of money, so we can guess this is why John chose her as his next victim. It'd be interesting to see if any of the victims, like especially those from the upper classes like this, were the one of those who 
appeared rich, but were abs- but actually were penniless. Like John himself. Yeah. But yeah. then again, I suppose that's more of a modern phenomenon, isn't it? That's probably happened more in the last 20, 30 years. Like me and you with our fancy cars, but we own like no money. <coughs> well, no, I'm thinking more like people who own stately homes, but literally are borderline bankrupt because okay. they're running the stately homes. Because uh, they've, inher- they've inherited them and they can't give them, right. a, they can't sell them or give them away. They've yeah. inherited this. It's more of a what's the word means uh, a bad thing like a like a ball and chain. What's the word for a ball and chain? I don't know. <sighs> when say you say ball and chain, is um, I just think of the bad things from Mario that are attached. Yeah, it was like having a bad thing from Mario. <laughs> that was what it was, and uh, the, the, basically, what when you have a stately home, the best like... thing you can hope for is to eat a mushroom and double in size. Yeah, exactly. And then save the princess. I don't know what you're trying to say. Like tying you down. What's the word I'm trying to think of? It means like holding a pertinence. Yeah, no, it means holding you back and like a hindrance. I can't think of it, but it's a. God, it's going to come to me. I'm going to be sat at work tomorrow. I'm going to shout it out. I think um, we should continue the podcast. And if you remember this word at any point, just shout it out. Okay, I will do. The couple stayed at Onslow Court. And I don't think we mentioned this episode, maybe in one of the quotes, but this is where John also stayed. So they knew each other for a few years. I think four years they knew each other. John already gained the trust of all of... Oh my God, what are you doing, dog? John had already gained the trust of Olive as she is known to have said that John was infinitely kind, considerate and generous young man. <laughs> <laughs> if only she knew what a dick he was. Being in so much debt it was time for John to assemble his acid room again. A burden! A burden! Ah, oh, so it was close to pertinence. Yeah, the, these <clears throat> the stately homes are a burden. They're inheriting this burden that they can't really rid themselves of because if they are the kind of uh, destroying their heritage, but they're, they're forced to keep on with it because it's, it's it's what ties them to the past. But also, they don't they're inheriting basically a failing, crumbling, listed building. Basically, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, so maybe she on. was one of them. Being in so much debt, it was time for John to assemble his acid room again. He would borrow money for the acid, and when asked why he needed so much acid, he would reply, "That's a little secret," which would fucking terrify me. Do you think he got away with a lot of this just being creepy as fuck? Yeah, and people were just like, yeah, just do what you want. Just yeah. As long as you don't come near me. Just, just don't talk to me again. Yeah. But he would eventually lure Olive to the same room as the previous two murders had happened on the 28th of February, 1949. Oh! See what I did there? That's her birthday. Oh, no. How old is she? There you go. Do you think he put candles in the acid bag? <laughs> It's like you're caked at the bottom of his acid. It's like the very first saw trap. Oh, God. Yeah, so he lured her down on the 28th of February, and this is what he said about it. Having taken her back to the storeroom at Leopold Road, I shot her in the back of the head while she was examining the candles I left in the acid for her. (laughs) (laughs) Did you make that up? Yes. Right. Having taken her back to the storeroom at Leopold Road, I shot her in the back of the head while she was examining some paper used for fingernails. Following that, I removed the coat she was wearing, a Persian lamb, and the jewellery, rings, necklace, earrings, and a cruciform, also known as a crucifix, and put her in a 45-gallon tank. 
of acid. I'd like to recommend, you know, take this opportunity to recommend anyone with a like for old school death battle, like bordering on thrash, to check out the song Into the Acid by the British band Cancer. Is it good? It's it's actually it's the best song off that album. It's like, a, is it about this guy? Uh, it, it could be. It's better than the song they have on. It's better than the rest of the album. It's just a good song. Go, it's the acid. It's quite good. He later um, told a fellow prisoner that his victim was of no use to the country nor humanity, that he was very hard up, and he had to have money, and that it flashed through his mind that it was either going back to prison, or living back in luxury. Again on her money, so that's probably why he killed her. He wanted, he wanted the money. He was scared to go back to prison because he didn't have any money. I, I suppose I can kind of get it. It's because he's obviously got people chasing him for debts and things like that, perhaps. And he's yes. thinking, if he can't pay the debts, then he's definitely going to go back to prison. Or unless he's saying that he's going to resort to more crimes and get caught. Yes, basically that's what he said. He was wanted the money, so that's why he killed her. So he really is just a fucking scumbag. Yeah, it just totally sounds like excuses and shit like that. But before that, that was um to a prisoner when he was in prison anyway but before that he did claim that I didn't even do it for the money this is what he said the question of sorry did he do it for the nookie he did it all for the nookie the what the nookie so he can take this cookie and stick it up your yeah and stick it up your yeah and stick it up your no it's the stop is it I don't that's not the lyrics. The question of gain did not arise. It's just one of those days when you don't <laughs> want to wake up. Everybody sucks. Everybody's fucks. Next week on Limp Biscuit Podcast. <laughs> the question of gain did not arise until after the killing. Mrs. Duran Deacon was a woman of well-ordered financial habits with her money in the hands of trustees. This and the fact that she had a number of friends and relatives who visited her regularly would have eliminated her as a prospect if I was considering rapid gain. It would have been much simpler to have got rid of my parents and inherited their property. There would have been no questions about that. So he's even saying that if he wanted money, he would have killed his own parents, which is bullshit because his dad only left him £150 when he died or something minuscule like that. Plus, this is a bit of a, like a, a fantasist thing, isn't it? As well, yeah. when people go, you see it a lot of the times when people go, when people are basically cornered, and mm-hmm. they go, "Oh well, if I wanted that, I would have done this," and they just like point to like the next thing they can think of. Yeah, exactly. Bunch of bellends. Um, yeah, so the parents had no money. But to sum it up, it's, it's clear to me from the book that he's doing this for the money. He killed the McSwans for the money. He killed the Hendersons, milked their rent, lied to their brother. Even went to the trouble of forging letters, you know, and before selling properties for the cash. And now he's saying the latest victim isn't for money. Nonsense. Utter fucking nonsense. I do find these cases really intriguing and really interesting because he's doing it for the money. 100% doing it for the money. However, he wouldn't be able to do this if he didn't have that big chunk of his brain missing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That means that he's happy to kill people. So... It's almost like the fact that the only people that care about the murders are us. He doesn't give a shit about them. He's a serial killer, but murder to him is way down... It's not even a thing. Well, yeah, he said after killing the McSwans that he didn't feel any remorse. Yeah, murder just facilitates his financial gain. It's it's fascinating. 
It is, and there's many other murders that he hasn't admitted to, but probably could have been him as well around right at the time. But we're not going to that. We're only going to go with the confirmed ones. Okay. Um, I do believe he did this for the money, but he didn't really get a chance to use it, as killing Olive would be the start of his downfall. Oh. Which we will go on to discuss in the next episode. Which we will go on to discuss in the next episode of the Acid Bath Murderer's fascinating story. Oh. So, so yeah, sorry, this is going to be a five-parter. A five-parter. So we're currently recording, some will get edited out, but we're currently recording one hour and 15 minutes in, so if we were to keep going, we'd, we'd make this three hours, wouldn't we? And no bugger would listen. Yeah, no, no bugger listens anyway. Well, yeah. We'd like you to let us know, like, even if you've never spoke to us before, just... Drop us a, a Facebook comment, a Facebook message, anything like that. Also, if this is your first time listening, thanks. You know, but mainly just let us know what you think. If you say, oh, I prefer the shorter, snappier episodes, I prefer the funnier episodes, I prefer the two-parters. I think I'm really enjoying getting into, really getting to know these characters and really getting in-depth with this one. I don't think we can do it every time. No, not 100% not. But I'm really, I really like. I think, I think we, I think there's some other characters who could maybe do this for <laughs> Harold Shipman. <clears throat> but, <laughs> but you know, like it'd be, yeah, you know. I I like them all. I I think we should start a petition um, called "Get Stoby on Every Episode." What? Well, so no, none of us have to do any work. Yeah, so Stoby can do all the work. That sounds good. Do you, see, do you think? Do you think we should have him back? What episode should we have him back for? My episode. He, to to be honest, he's he's been asking. Oh, um, I I said to him I didn't consult you. I should have, um, just because we've done all this saga, me and you, and yeah. wanted to ruin the flow. So, well, I was going to say if we get him on for the last episode, that's going to be a yeah. vastly different dynamic. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. I'll ask so, him anyway. No, so I would say don't don't do it for the last oh, episode. Don't, if sorry, we do I thought he's one no, of them. No, but if we do it for the for my episode that's coming next or after the net final episode of this, yes, that would be interesting because they're they, they can't even speak. The episodes I'm planning have a different feel to them. They're a bit more of a... This is kind of more of a, a prose narrative. Mine are more of a free-form discussion. Yes. Based around set topics. It's going to be very interesting. It's, it's going to be good. I mean, I need to get my arse in gear and finish off the research. I did the typical thing of, basically, the way I do my research is I pick, what I'm, I pick a topic, I pick my research, and then compile all the significant parts of research file them into areas on Word documents, and then I try and build up a loose timeline. I back that up with newspaper articles and also documentaries and books and things like that, and I try and back... I mean, we're not just reading from Murderpedia. We actually do put quite a bit of research into this. But because of the one the, the cases I'm, I'm studying, because they're either very vague or heavily controlled by the media, like as in there's some that are still, if you say the wrong thing... They're bringing slander cases against people, not yeah. us, yeah, but yeah. like it means that the newspaper articles are very, 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 very vague. Yeah, it's it's. I've ended up with 49, 50 pages of, hmm. of research good, notes. Good luck with that one. Yeah, so basically, I mean, normally I end up with twenty, so yeah. I end up with like fifty pages of research notes, and that's just on one subject matter. So it's I'm going to have to really, you know, like bring that down. But it's thankful that this has you know made it out to five episodes because otherwise my episode would be 15 minutes long and wouldn't be interesting. We'll see it what happens when me, we record your episode. It is for me going through my babe station pauses. <laughs> um, yep, so that's us. Yeah. We're done. Thanks for listening. Yeah, th- Thank th- you. Th- 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 thanks for coming back. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, 
we're still glad that people are still listening, really. I mean, we were talking about this before. We were thinking, do we do we know everyone that listens? Is everyone that listens just our pals? And then we figured it out, and we don't know that many people. So, no. you know, it's, it's some of the people must be strangers. What I would say is our numbers for listeners are very consistent. So everyone that's listening, they appear to be coming back. But we're not hitting a new audience. So how do we do that? Yeah, well, it's not. I mean, I, I think that... Uh, Anyone who introduces a friend to the podcast gets a thousand pounds. We can't afford that yet. Uh, anyone who introduces a friend to the podcast gets one of the pictures I scammed off you, pretending to be a Nigerian prince. That will do. Um, that sounds good. But yeah, that's a good idea. Anyone who listens to us, just recommend us to a friend. Yeah, just listen to, a, listen to a friend. And just, again, we'd like to open the discussion between us and the listeners because we are just two dickheads sat in our houses. We're not we don't do this for any reason other than it entertains us. Exactly. So, all our listeners know our social media, so you want to just sign off at that, James? Yeah, that's fine. You know, just thanks for coming back time after time after again, and for this time, until next time, see you later, motherfuckers. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another great podcast from the Fair City Podcast Network, a group dedicated to connecting and developing podcasts. Check out fcpod.net for more great podcasts and content.